What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the All Good and the Brotherhood podcast. As always, I'm Nate Whitaker with my brother, Francisco Whitaker. Hello, everyone. Uh, but not as always, a little bit different today. We are not recording where we normally record in Pennsylvania. Rather, we're right now on a trip to um, the eternal city, Rome. Uh, right now, we're in the monastery of San Angelo in... Um, San Anselmo. San Anselmo. I don't even know the place I'm sitting in right now. Oh, my gosh. San Anselmo. Um, we've been seeing a lot of angels lately and statues all around Rome. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're sitting in San Anselmo right now, and we're recording in one of the uh, little kind of apartment rooms uh, for the guests to stay in. So, uh, so yeah, Sam, how, how are you liking Rome so far? Dude, um, I'm loving it. This is – well, it's my third time. I know it's your first time right. here. Uh, this is my third time uh, visiting Rome. Um, today we went to Monte Cassino, which is St. Benedict. The reason why we're here is actually a vocational pilgrimage. Uh, I work in the vocation office. I think I mentioned that before. And every year, we haven't done it because of COVID the last two years, but uh, in the past, um, we've had a tradition of bringing uh, guys who are interested in potentially joining the monastery or who are at least open to a vocation um, on a seven to 10 day pilgrimage to Rome to visit the places that St. Benedict lived during his life uh, as a, before he was a monk and uh, after he began um, Benedictine monasticism. So today we visited Monte Cassino, which was uh, the last and greatest monastery that he founded in the last 20 years of his life, which is super awesome. Mm-hmm. It was at the, t- it's built on the it's top incredible. of this mountain. Um, you have to zigzag back and up uh, this road, which on the bus we were in, uh, was kind of scary sometimes. It was insane. We're, we're a group of like 12 guys and we're in a full size bus. We're just spread out throughout the whole thing. And yeah, this guy's doing like pinwheel turns everywhere. It was, it was insane. Yeah, it was, it was, it was wild. So, um, yeah, uh, we're in Rome right now. Happy new year, by the way, too. Um, but if you didn't know it up to this point, um, we'll uh, spell it out that our podcast episodes are actually pre-recorded, uh, so, close or sometimes significantly before yeah. uh, the time when we actually release them. So our like our last episode on sports that you guys would have heard um, was actually recorded back in August. So a lot of the things that we talked about then um, have actually changed a lot. Right. Uh, so we kind of want to do a quick recap of our whole last semester um, and just uh, see how things went for us. So Nate, um, what was something cool that happened this last semester? Your first year, first semester junior, right? Yeah. Um, what was something cool that happened? Uh, something maybe not so cool, uh, and something unexpected that was, you know, that happened during this semester. Yeah, I guess something cool that happened was this is kind of just a general thing. Um, I, I didn't really expect to feel a distinct difference between being a, a sophomore, like an underclassman, and now being a junior as an upperclassman. Because um, you know, like when you when you have a birthday. You like change age, you know, overnight and people are like, oh, do you feel any older now? You're a year older or whatever. And normally the answer is no, you don't feel older right yeah, away. For sure. You, you kind of grow into the, the new age. But, but, um, coming to being a junior, like the, the first day I walked on campus as an upperclassman, I felt different. Mm-hmm. And it like, you, you kind of feel this, it sounds weird, but kind of a dominance of like, you know what? This, this is like my, my school now. Like Welcome I, to my house. Exactly. It's like, yo, all the, all these freshmen are pulling up looking super small and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, wow, I, I, like me and my, me and my boys kind of own this place. Like, like not, not literally, but like we, yeah, we know sure. what's up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, you're, you're comfortable with the school. You're starting to figure out how, how life really goes and you're able to like help people out who are still figuring that out. 
um, who, are, who are younger. And, and that, that's just really been awesome. And other things, all sorts of things are more settled. I think like friend groups are more settled. You can kind of just rely on, you know, at, at any given point, like, okay, just go with the boys to go to like a Taco Bell run in the middle of the night. Like, cause, like you just, you know, who your guys are and it's, it's not so, um, inconsistent as maybe early on freshman year, you're, you're still figuring out who your friends are and your groups can change, at least in my experience. Some people, you know, they find a group right off the bat in freshman year. Yeah. In my case, it was more kind of, um, it would go back and forth and it wasn't always consistent. But uh, but this year, things have really settled down and I, I got a, like a solid solid group of friends that are really reliable. So so that's been awesome. Um, what, what were the two other? Uh, not so cool and something unexpected that you did or that happened. Right. Um Anything not so cool, or challenging maybe? Yeah, challenging. That's that's a good word. Okay, so the the math program at my uh, college for junior year because everybody's got to take the same classes. I think I've said that before, yeah. um, and you have to take math all the way through. And and junior math is is some people didn't find it very challenging. I I, I found it pretty challenging for whatever reason. Um, it was just it was it was kind of dense because we were reading Descartes, and so it's for me it was it was weird where. Uh, we might have been reading out uh, mathematical ideas or like doing kind of equations that in just a normal textbook would have been pretty straightforward. But to me, because they were written by a guy who's also a philosopher, oh, yeah. it was like an added layer of uh, just being sort of nebulous. So it was kind of confusing to follow what's going on. So that, that was a little challenging. Um, something surprising that happened that was really good, I thought. I, I wasn't um, a major role in it, but I, I was part of a play. Um, which was, I guess, surprising to me because I I didn't really act before coming here ever. Yeah, I just like sure. thought acted up maybe. Yeah, I, I definitely acted up before <laughs> before this, but I didn't act before in, in a play. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it was surprising, I'll say, because basically I'm, I'm friends with a guy at the school. He's a great guy named Jacob, and he directs the plays for the college. Um, he's a fellow student though. But he's generally the, the play director. And we just talked like in, in passing a few times last semester about like, yeah, you know, I, I was telling him I thought it'd be fun, you know, maybe maybe in junior year to try out for a play. And um, he took that and I guess he took that as, as, a, as a pretty strong certainty. So one of the first days coming back for the fall semester, there'd been no play rehearsal or, or audition or anything. I, I just get this email. It's, it's the script to a big play. And uh, the casting list, and my name's on it. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess he took that seriously. So I'm, so I'm going to play now. So that was definitely surprising. I didn't expect that. And like I said, it wasn't one of the main roles because I'd never reacted before. He knew that. But it was cool just getting to be part of something that I, uh, kind of a activity that I don't normally do, almost sprung on me. And, and it was good that he kind of sprung it on me by surprise because it didn't give me the opportunity to really back out. For sure. So, so that was really cool and, like you said, surprising. Um, but I guess just turning that around, what uh, what were the things this semester for you that were cool or, or maybe not so cool or challenging and, and what was surprising? Uh, yeah, so um, what was cool was, um, so the last two years, uh, you know, I was working on my philosophy master's, which was definitely challenging right. um, and a lot of work. I enjoyed it. I loved it um, and did well, but it was definitely like a lot of work. This past semester was not really a lot of work. Nice. I enjoyed it. Let's go. It was very easy um, uh, to like wrap my head around the concepts and studying for the tests. Sure, were uh, you know a, a load, um, but you know I was never I was not stressed out by homework at all, which was so such lit. a win. Such a win. Um, easy professors are just like easy material. 
Um, just manageable uh, and not feeling overwhelmed. It's epic. Um, I think part of that had to do with the fact that I had a new stress relief, um, which was the unexpected thing. So I mentioned last episode that um, some of the guys on the college rugby team were in, you know, kind of poking at me like, oh, Brother Francisco, you should play rugby. You'd be really good. And I kind of laugh it off and push it off. Well, as it happened, I actually did play rugby um, and uh, ended up having such a time with it. It was just wild how it happened. They came back at the beginning of the year and they kept on hounding me They're like, Francisco, you've got to do this. you got to do this. And I kept on like, dude, like, I've seen rugby before because our older brother Tom played it. Oh, yeah. But I've never, never touched a ball in my life and I've never played once. And I went through this whole fiasco last year of trying to get on the volleyball team and it didn't work out. Um, and I just told them like, no, it's not going to happen. Well, they told their coach, like, yeah, yeah, he's, he wants, he should play. Oh my gosh. So their coach called me. He's like, Hey, I checked your eligibility. You can still play. You just got to get approval from, you know, your junior master in the Abbott. And I was Dang. like, Oh brother. So I went and asked and they said, yeah, do it. So <laughs> next thing go. you know, I was, uh, I was starting and my position, you know, this is hilarious. Um, I'm a monk. My position was hooker let's go so yeah that was the, the joke really bro um dad liked to Damn. introduce me he's like yeah this is my son he's a monk he's also the hooker on the rugby <laughs> team uh, I was like, yeah nice dad <laughs> gotta do what um, you gotta do so i had a, I had a fun time uh, right until the end um when i dislocated my finger oh you got uh, this crazy dislocation uh completely dislocated my second knuckle on my right middle finger um, the x-ray is disgusting. It looks like he has two like small fingers. I basically my top of my finger got stacked on the back of my finger. Um, and it's actually over a, a month and a half later. It's still swollen right now. Yeah. Um, I don't have full range. Can't of motion, fully extend that, uh, that finger. Yeah. But so, so that was unexpected. Um, and then the challenging thing I think was, uh, you know, as a monk, uh, you know, working daily on my prayer life and growing closer to the Lord, um, but this last semester um, was probably one of the driest times of prayer, and mm. still is, that I've had in a very, very long time. Just not really feeling a whole lot of anything. Uh, going to pray. It's been honestly a, a huge challenge to even want to pray yeah. when month after month of just going there, it feels like I'm receiving nothing and not being heard right. or a whole lot of anything. Um, but that's why we do it. Um, sometimes praying, it's going to pray itself is uh, like, is the greatest prayer we can do, even if we don't feel or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, sim- sometimes the answer to our prayer is to pray more. Um, and I think that's definitely been what God has been inviting me to. Yeah. So that's been going on, um, but it's been good. So anyways, um, before we continue to drone on, um, we want, do want to move into our topic. Right, true. Um, so we, well, we thought, uh, well, we're in the eternal city, um, and which is a city just chock full of history and culture um, and seeped in tradition, um, both ecclesial, historical, um, that we would actually talk about tradition today. Right. Uh, and, you know, what is tradition? How does it relate to the transcendentals um, and such? So, um, before I guess just to start, like, what are, like, what is tradition and what are some various examples of tradition that do we have well i i feel like you you already mentioned kind of two categories of um you said in the case of rome where we are right now you have a lot of uh, physical signs of uh, ecclesial tradition and historical tradition and just to go to, to the first of those ecclesial tradition that, that just means you know relating to the church 
there's there's all sorts of traditions in 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 lots of religions. Every religion has its own traditions, but you know I, I can speak for experience for especially the Catholic Church. We have all sorts of traditions, um, especially uh, revolving around what you know the liturgical year, kind mm-hmm. of the annual cycle of the church. Like uh, and those aren't just kind of uh, imaginary or, or intellectual traditions, but but really tangible, like really really physical. Uh, daily practices. For example, right now we're in Christmas, so we have uh, it's it's just a tradition in the church that during Christmas and also during Easter time, kind of in the in the seasons of celebration throughout the year, uh, the priests when they're they're doing mass or will they'll wear white, right. and uh, there will be white and a lot of gold in the churches and a lot of flowers, and that's just kind of a, a physical tradition that we can experience, and it's it's for for the people because we're you know we're visual people. Um, and then also in, in just going back a little farther in last month, we were during Advent and, you know, in Advent, there's the, the classic tradition of the, the Advent wreath where you have that, that green wreath and uh, the, the, the three purple candles and uh, the singular pink candle. And they, they all represent something. So they're these representative traditions, but there's those kind of things for the church, you know, these, these traditions that go on generation in and generation out. And, and, uh, and then there's, there's smaller ones than that too, though, you know, cause there's, um, I mean, or rather, not just revolving around the church, but in, but in other categories of life, like in culture. Of course, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of traditions in every every country. Um, our culture, and as Americans, we have you know kind of the classic Americana tradition of you know baseball, um, apple pie, and and Chevrolet. It's kind of the, the stereotypical yeah, you know sure. all American right. vibe. And you know we have football, we have baseball, um, we have these sort celebrating of celebrating Thanksgiving exactly American tradition. Um, yeah, and uh, we also have tradition on much more local levels. So, like, our own towns can have traditions. Right. Um, or our families have traditions. Uh, so, like, just tradition being, like, the passing of ideas or beliefs from one generation to the next yeah. uh, occurs on multiple levels. And so, for instance, like, our family, we have our own Christmas traditions. Mm-hmm. Now, they're slightly adapting because of our situations of me being in the monastery our older brother being married and living in Pittsburgh, um, right. and our older sister also, you know, we're us not being at home. We're all growing up. Changes, yeah. but like um, us all having, certainly all being together is a tradition. Not every family gets together completely over the holidays, but one tradition we had a lot of the time is on Christmas Eve, we'd have enchiladas. Oh, yeah. Um, bef- the night, um, you know, before Christmas, which is not really a typical <laughs> Christmas time food but right. we ate it because something that happened when we were younger and it just kind of tradition held uh and it's something we look forward to uh, and i think that's something about tradition that's really nice is because it we maintain it and it comes every year or or it comes every day or something like that that it's something to look forward to and rely right. on right. um tradition adds stability mm-hmm. which for a monk which is one of the vows we take is stability. Tradition is very important to monasticism. Mm-hmm. We don't just hold on traditions because um, we, you know, it's always been that way necessarily. We hold on to traditions because when we're grounded in them, uh, we're grounded in something real and we're grounded in something that we don't have to create anew every day. And it allows those other parts of us that maybe need to adapt we can focus on those instead of saying like, okay, I need to figure out what my liturgy, liturgical practice is today. I need to figure out what I'm praying today. No, those are traditionally set. And instead I can focus on some other things that maybe I need to work on. Exactly. Um, but uh, I think there are also other forms of quote unquote tradition that we have that we might not 
readily understand to be tradition, Mm -hmm. but still exist in our culture or in our society. Um, Which we were talking about this earlier. Um, What you had mentioned something about the idea of like just mentalities and like original principles of like Mm -hmm. a society or a group of people. Um, So do you want to say more into that? Yeah, I just, I think we were kind of talking talking about and getting at was there's certain things that are very natural um, to us people that they they come so naturally, we almost take them for granted, but they are themselves a kind of tradition. And, you know, that's kind of reflected even um, more foundationally in nature. There are certain things that aren't, they're not these conventional contrived um, traditions that are purely man-made the way maybe some of those liturgical or cultural ones are. But they're, they're things like, I'm, I'm just thinking of just now of um, every year there's the cycle of, you know, spring and summer and the falling of the leaves and, and winter. And that's a rhythm. And, uh, you know, like you're saying, it kind of ties you down in, in some stable way that goes on generation after generation. And so we have these very fundamental things in our lives that we um, can take for granted, but they, they are themselves a kind of natural tradition. And so out of that comes... Also, these, these natural, like you were saying, mentalities or, or principles of life that we may take for granted because they seem so essential to our lives and, and so uh, common that we may not think of them as, as active traditions in the same way as we would, uh, you know, having uh, turkey dinner at Thanksgiving. Um, for example, like, you know, work ethic. I was just yeah. thinking that, like, the, the idea that you should work hard and you should be, you know, whether you're a student, you should be a good student, or if you're, you're a worker, you should try to, you know, make some... some um, money for your family so you can eat well, those kind of ingrained cultural, they're, they're, they're almost more foundational cultural traditions because they transcend so many cultures. They're just these ingrained kind of human principles of life. There, there's those ideas um, of you know, work ethic. There's the ideas of uh, you know, cause and effect relationships when we're uh, dealing with decisions or, or kind of thinking through problems. There's, there's kind of all these things that in some way are, are traditions that we, we can take for granted. Um, but we need to recognize them and recognize their value. Yeah, and even like the custom of being uh, like most people work during the day and sleep during the night. There are people right. who obviously don't, but we call that like an untraditional like job or mm-hmm. like uh, they don't work normal working hours. Yes. Why do we call things normal working hours? Because it's like our custom and our tradition. Mm-hmm. So those are things that, like you said, they transcend kind of more than just like an american culture it's also european um and even eastern you know in places like that Mm so um but part of the reason we wanted to talk about tradition um i mean one we're in rome so it's a very like tradition seeped place it's just Um, dripping with tradition um, but yeah dripping bro Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) don't try to be gen z (laughs) you know what um you're that all the time (laughs) Because um, I, I am Gen Z. So am I. Uh, I know, but you're amongst it. It kind of doesn't count. But... <sighs> wow, okay, whatever. Sorry, sorry. Anyways, but we wanted to talk about it because there seems to be a very strong attack against the idea of tradition. Yes. Um, particularly true. tradition in the church um, and like a, cre- a traditional Christian mindset and morality mm-hmm. um, in, in the world, in America. Um, that, And I'm not talking about like the traditionalist like liturgical practices of the church. I'm talking about having a tradition at, at all. all. Right. Um, that there's just a war against having a morality or having mm-hmm. um, a belief set that is tr- tradition based. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's so you, uh, wokeism, uh, you know, yeah. um, the idea of, you know, uh, love is love, you know, except 
um, all you know all people and treat them like exactly the same so that gay marriage is the same as uh, marriage between a man and a woman which right. we call traditional marriage mm-hmm. right um, or uh, just the definition of what a family is. We have a right. traditional family versus now they kind of create anything as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these are p- being pushed against what we understand to be traditional ideologies that we mm-hmm. hold as Christians. Um, and why is it important to hold on to tradition? Mm-hmm. Um, and how, in some sense, are these actually like not the breaking down of tradition, but actually, they might not admit it, but just trying to create their own traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good question, and well, I think partly what it is is we have to acknowledge that we we have to acknowledge why there's an attraction to that um, sort of agenda, if you would, to reject old traditions, because um, in each of these new ideas that's coming about that wants to reject them. There's some sort of emotional attraction, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in, in one modern, it's largely being pushed now by, by woke agendas, uh, one modern movement is, the, the example, the, the body positivity movement. And that has sort of a, a, an emotional attraction because we want to be supportive. We want to show kindness to people, uh, you know, no matter their shape or size. And that, that's true. But it goes far to the, to the extreme of throwing out the, the tradition, kind of the unspoken tradition that you want to strive to be a healthy person yeah. and you want to strive to be in shape enough to, to function and to, to actually live, live a good, healthy life. And so that, that movement seeks to reject that kind of unspoken tradition of health um, and what you're saying, these movements of, of wanting to rewrite the family basically seek to re- reject those old traditions of, of, uh, of marriage and what it means to be a family, namely that you have a, a man and a woman and they have their children and they, they want to rewrite that and, and kind of make marriage in their own image. And I think what's wrong with that and what's dangerous about that is uh, these come from kind of fundamentally kind of selfish desires, right? Because they, they, they really, well, as you said earlier, tradition seems to be something that goes, uh, transcends um, generations. It, goes beyond each generation uh, tradition isn't just uh, something that an individual can arbitrate over it's something that will go before him and will ultimately last beyond him yeah right and whereas these people they, they want to rewrite the traditions because they're not content to live in something that can transcend them they want to define um, their own reality and so they don't want to participate in for example the tradition of marriage that existed long before they did and will exist forever yeah. And they, they don't want to um, participate in this idea of health that was before them and will go on after them. Instead, they want to rewrite things and kind of create, like I said, create things in their own image, namely an image that they can manipulate. Um, because they, it, it, there's something selfless and, uh, and uh, humbling about participating in something that transcends you. Right? There, there's something kind of uh, that acknowledges your own um, limitedness when you participate in a tradition that you know came before you and is going to last after you yeah no i really like that and like so they're resisting tradition that makes them potentially feel bad right or that doesn't agree with the way they feel mm-hmm. so instead of uh understanding that their feelings can change maybe they have to have their feelings in accordance with reality mm-hmm. which their traditions that they're rejecting are actually um in accordance with reality they try to change reality itself and reject right. their tradition so what they're doing is trying to 
um, established a new tradition in yeah. which feeling is the basis for action and reality, mm-hmm. um, which is, like you said, dangerous because feelings are going to change. So always following a feelings tradition is not going to be good for every generation Mm -hmm. because what we might feel is good for us in this current generation and in some ways might be good. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying all things that we feel are bad. No. um, But that what we feel right now is based on circumstance. It's based on our time. Mm -hmm. It's based on our situations. Mm -hmm. That what we feel now is not going to be the way people feel in 100 years. Right. But if we have a feelings-based tradition or feeling-based logic or ideas – that's actually feelings-based logic just isn't logic, but um, those ideologies will definitely damage those in the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we understand that, like you said, that there's a transcendental uh, aspect to tradition, that there's reasons why it existed and it's continued to exist. It's not because those people always felt that it was good. Right. But they recognized that it was good, mm-hmm. um, and they maintained that because they. They, they recognize that it was good for them. Right. Doesn't Aquinas talk about this very thing? Ah, yeah, actually he does. So Aquinas, when he talks about laws, um, when he's particularly focused on like the nature of law uh, and justice, he says that there are laws that exist that we might not really understand mm-hmm. or that we really might not agree with or we find unjust or simply just outdated. Right. Well, he says that it's actually not even necessarily good to change those mm. because there's held in them is something very powerful which is called the force of custom so custom he says is that which was followed uh, and adopted over generations as what eventually becomes a normative lifestyle or normative Mm -hmm. belief and changing that uh, based on what we currently feel is disruptive basically to society because the reason why a law or an ideology sorry the ideology (laughs) uh, was established in back in the day, we might not understand those people's reasoning. Right, because the circumstances maybe may have changed. Exactly, but if we maintain it, it might it's still going to be doing good for us, even right. if we don't recognize that. And he said, there's actually more harm in obeying laws that we still don't understand or we might not always fully agree with, um, as long as they're not doing like dangerous harm to us or are yeah. themselves vicious right. laws, um, because. Breaking them or destroying them, the effect of completely ripping out custom from our life disrupts our psychological and physiological well-being mm. to a point that it's actually worse for us not to follow the custom than to follow it. Right. So he says that if we're going to change the custom, there's a lot of things which we need to look at, which is one, whether the thing we're changing to is actually objectively better for us. Yeah. Um, and two, if those who are saying it can change actually can effectively enforce the change. Yeah. So if he says like, you know, some higher power or authority of like a government leader says like, Oh, well I want to do this. If he says we're going to change all these ideas, but he can't actually change the hearts and minds of people to agree with him, him changing the law now just, it, it really has no good effect right. because the people now are split in thinking, well, I want to follow this custom, but it's not the custom anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they have zero ties into this new idea. Right. So you have to be able to one, see that it's a good thing to change into and effectively cause that transition. Right. If those things can't happen, he says it's actually better to maintain tradition and custom because since it was created before, and like you said, the last after us, it's beauty and the unification. We talk about 
truth, goodness, and beauty a lot right. in this podcast, but we for, we often forget to talk about the other transcendental unity. The underrated one. Underrated, which holds the other ones together, unity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that custom and tradition are really based in a, the transcendental of unity, mm-hmm. that it's uniting us with those who are with us today and those who are in the past. Mm-hmm. And to completely change that is to then cut off our ties with the past right. and in some ways distance ourselves even from each other now because we have to reconnect through the custom whereas if i share a custom with you i automatically have a bond formed right that wouldn't have existed if this custom wasn't there yeah i was thinking the same thing it seems like the the power and kind of the wonder of tradition lies in its ability to bring together a community into unity yeah and so with the example you said where um you know you have people who are trying to overthrow a pre-existing tradition or simply just change it well unless they affect it like affect that change in a good and prudent way the result is just going to be disunity right so and that 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 is a bad thing right yes it it just seems like if if unity is a transcendental it's, it's it's a good thing that we should be striving for and tradition really seems to be the way to do that because tradition has the power to bind people together of um one uh, culture or one nation and not just in one time period but you know ac- across many generations it can bind you know an american living today with an american living in in the 1800s because we have you know this for example thanksgiving it, it, it binds us yeah. together yep um but i guess i, I one thing i want to ask is even though it, unity is a good thing and tradition where seems to be agreeing causes unity so it seems good can't there be some traditions or customs that are are bad and that we do want to get rid of? And I, I guess my question would be, how do we distinguish the good ones from the bad ones? How do we distinguish the ones we want to get rid of from the ones we should keep? Sure. Yeah. So, okay. That's a great question. Um, so think about slavery. Um, so that was a tradition, unfortunately, in the world for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was legalized in the United States and most of Europe for far too long. Um, and it was a custom that was held. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, the custom itself is evil, yeah. and it, you know, possessing and owning someone else as an like an object and not treating them as a person is an intrinsic evil. Yeah. So, like I said before, Aquinas says that unless that law or that custom is doing vicious harm to you or to another human person's dignity, you should maintain it. Mm-hmm. But if it is doing harm, or is opposing to virtue, then it needs to be uprooted because it's not a healthy custom. Okay. So so we need to reflect on, okay, is either a customer getting rid of or maybe a customer thinking about replacing, is this going to unify us or is this going to disunify us? Right. Um, or is this going to affect my living out a virtuous life? Right. If it's going to cultivate virtue, for instance, uh, I think in the church, we've kind of lost a tradition of fasting. Um, even during Lent, we'd like the, you know, a lot of Catholics can't seem to even get behind the idea of fasting on Fridays. Yeah. That's a tradition that used to exist every Friday, and it's still encouraged, but it's not really maintained as much. Right. I think that's something we should return to because... Yeah, we need to stop being beta. It's good. It is good to fast and replace that time we eat with more prayer mm-hmm. that's a virtuous thing growing in prayer is always virtue growing in temperance which is what fasting teaches us is a good thing mm-hmm. so that's a that's a custom that we should add uh customs that we tend to have um but okay so a, a custom we've had which luckily 
is starting to be overturned mm-hmm. uh, is the custom of abortion. It's, right. it's a traditional law in America. It's become since traditional since Roe v. Wade. Seventies. Um, yeah. That itself law was overturned. Now it's up to the states. Mm-hmm. But that's doing harm to a human person's dignity. Right. Um, both both the unborn child and the mother are both uh, being objectified uh, as not. Uh, truly human. Right. Um, and even though you might call it a tradition in the sense that it's kind of a law or, or convention that's formed in our society, it, it, it isn't even a tradition in, I guess, the ideal sense of the word because it's not something that brought unity. Yeah, exactly. It brought disunity. And aside from the, the moral harm that it was bringing and the, the threat to human life that it caused, it would also bring huge disunity in our, our nation of those who stood for and those who opposed it. And, and so that's why it seems like you can't, um, like, really a good tradition will both be exactly that good and and have good moral repercussions and and support virtue and also will unify in doing so so the the difference being like maybe you might say slavery in the south unified you know in some way the southern states and the civil war because that was kind of a unifying factor yeah but it wasn't good you know you have to weigh um this or that tradition in in terms of some moral order and, and some moral um, metric, which, you know, you need to take into account the other transcendentals yeah, when you're looking sure. at exactly. unity, namely goodness. If it was lacking goodness, then, yeah, it is a tradition you should consider rejecting. But, you know, if, if a tradition is good and, in, you know, in doing so, it's unifying also and it's unifying a community in goodness, then it seems like one you want to keep and you don't want to just go around changing that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, beauty um, is also a really strong aspect of tradition. Beauty mm-hmm. in art Music, there's tradition right. in art, music. We see that here in Rome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's such a strong tradition of art and music, uh, liturgy in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, see, such just the architecture and the statues that are. Um, yeah, and, you know, in America, we don't have nearly as much of a history right. of that kind of like architectural beauty or visual arts beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, that's just because we haven't been a country nearly as long mm-hmm. or, or established. But, right. um, we just have that connection with the past here in Rome that is just beautiful and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it, it elevates me to a higher level. That's what the transcendentals are supposed to do is to raise us up to something above us. Mm-hmm. And so when we see traditions of art in either the basilicas we've been to or even the historical places we visited, right. um, that, that brings me beyond myself. Mm-hmm. And a tradition that takes us out of ourselves and brings us into a community or closer relationship with God is a tradition to maintain. One that kind of places me above you Mm -hmm. or above God is a a tradition that needs to be suppressed. Um, And those are kind of the traditions that we're looking, you know, the more um, secular society is kind of pushing is an individualized quote-unquote tradition. Exactly. um, And a disunifying one. And in doing so, they're really, it's not just that they're, they're doing some harm to maybe a moral order, but they're really, they're missing out on so much opportunity for beauty. Cause I, I can't stress enough what you were just saying about uh, the beauty that especially we're getting the chance to experience here in Rome. Like we, we just went um, yesterday to the Pantheon and that was quite literally a tradition set, set in stone. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are stones and, and pillars and walls that have been here literally 2000 years and you go in there and like a transcendental should do, it draws you out of yourself. It It's, you're participating in something that transcends you. It's, it's generations before you and it's going to go on after you and it's it's bigger than you and mm, that's yep. where the beauty lies is it's, it's okay to recognize there's something more important in the universe than me yeah yeah and there's absolutely. there's actual like you know a selfish person sees that as painful but it really there's satisfaction and, and so much wonder that comes from realizing 
it's almost a relief to realize there's something bigger in this universe than me. And that's what I think traditions are meant to do. They're, they're meant to unify us with the past and, and the future and, and bring us beauty in that unification so that we can be like, yeah, there's something bigger than me. And it's, that's awesome. Like there, there are a few better experiences I think we can have in our lives than that. Yeah. Good. So just to, to wrap up, just kind of a challenge for all of you who are listening. Um, if because uh, tradition is kind of under attack, whether it's um, theological, moral, or ideological tradition, um, that I encourage you guys to really stand up for traditions that you hold. Um, mm-hmm. That especially if you are faced in a conversation or, you know, social media is a great place for people to slam traditions because they can be safe behind their screen or their phone or whatever, um, to you know, not be vicious about it, but to really stand up for the traditions that you have, um, because you're not, uh, trying to, you know, prove other people that they're terrible or that they're so incorrect, but you're trying to call them back into, uh, a transcendental, uh, lifestyle, a transcendental reality. You're trying to benefit them to give them more opportunity to experience goodness and beauty. Exactly. Participating in a tradition that is not just about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is much, much better for us to live just outside of ourselves than rather just in ourselves. So um, next, you know, maybe difficult or challenging conversations you have where someone might be slamming um, a belief or a tradition or a mindset. I encourage you, as, as difficult it might be or as painful as it might be, um, to, to really to stand up for the traditions mm-hmm. that you hold. So, yeah. Um, well, thank you. We appreciate you for hanging on. And we look forward to having you join us again in the future. All right. Peace, guys. God bless.